the value can be very wishy-washy. Everyone says they have integrity, but if everyone in a company has a different definition of integrity, there's no integrity. For fun, which would have been another one of our values, I would have written a joke. You know, like I think it was something like, um, I want to die peacefully in my sleep, not like the passengers in my grandmother's car. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy, King Pawn, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. I have a confession. I wear Lululemon clothing. Like a lot of it. And often. For years, I held out. But damn, it's comfortable. It fits great. It looks great. And it's an interesting business that got gigantic from focusing on just being great at women's yoga pants. So in today's episode, I talk with Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon. You should check out his book, by the way, called Little Black Stretchy Pants. I've read it and I recommend it for you about hearing more about the story. In this conversation, you're going to learn three gigantic things. Number one, how to create values that actually matter for your company. Two, the one giant market Chip is focusing on. And three, Chip's approach to risk-taking. You're going to enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we jump into the conversation, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I release three gorgeous videos about business or marketing every week. In last week's video, I broke down 10 ways you can monetize an email list that you've hopefully got started using sendfox.com by now. Go check it out at youtube.com slash okdork. Also, if you want to start a business, join monthly1k.com. We've helped over 10,000 people overcome fear and find success on their business journey. It's $7. Seriously. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Esteban Godoy from the US. He left a review saying, Noah is freaking remarkable. One of the very few podcasts I'm not embarrassed to admit I've subscribed to. Which ones are you embarrassed by, man? I'm kind of curious. Anyways, thank you so much for your feedback, amigo, and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review on iTunes or anywhere online. I check every single one of them. What is a great life to you? Nothing works without health. So health and then what is health for to uh, enjoy your family and to fulfill on the destiny that your genetics and environment meant you to do. I guess, how do you measure your own life and how do you reflect on it? Well, I guess like a Monopoly game or a stock ticker game when I was a little kid, I think it's uh, the money is a, uh, an indication of that. So, I mean, that's an easy metric part of it. The problem with the other things, which are soft side, is there's no real total metric. So mine is that when I'm 85 years old and things, sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table, my children and grandchildren all be laughing at me. And that's a metric because I know if they're laughing at me, they love me. And they're all there. So that would be like a fulfillment of life. How do you feel like you're doing on that? 100%. I've got five boys. They all laugh at me. And I think it's just getting worse and worse, which means it's getting better and better. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I've been reflecting on. I love your your advice is that I feel like I've done well the business side where I made money. That almost felt easy to me. And I think on the being a man side and myself side, that's where I've been working on lately. I'm curious how that journey has been for you, because I feel like that's something that yourself is reflected as well in your business, which I guess you could is true for a lot of things. Well, I think on, on becoming a man, I, I think I wasn't until I was um, maybe 37, 38 years old. I noticed I changed every two years radically till I was 32 years old. And then things started to flatten out and I kind of figured out who I was, but I was pretty clear. I didn't know what being a man was. I think that's uh, all wrapped up in integrity, responsibility, 
drive, love, caring, empathy, being out for greatness, I think is another part of being a man, not settling for mediocrity. Those are things that, that come to me. How do you know when it is greatness? I think when the world is beating a path to your door for something that it can't get anywhere else. Where the conversation first came up was probably in uh, Anne Rand's book, Atlas Shrug, you know, to make a product that is best in the world and not let anyone else um, bring you down or get in the way of, of making that product. I think the other thing that came is from the book Good to Great from Collins, which I think is probably the best business book of all time. There is no real business. There is no real moving into kind of the stratosphere unless you can claim that you're making something that is the best in the world. And so when I think when you make the best in the world, then all parts of your business fall into place because like I was saying, the, the world beats a path to your doorstep. When the world beats the path, and assuming with Lululemon, I don't know if it was immediate, but it seemed like from your book, which I recommend and I'm going to promote the hell out of to everyone, was it greatness immediately? And then how did you get your self-confidence? Is it something that you just kept going on it? Because I'm sure you had detractors. And, and that's something I've, I've thought about where some of the winners have the most conviction to a belief. And I feel like you've really embodied that with sticking with what you believed in and really going all the way. That's why you know, I told you I, I want to title this the, the founder willing to risk it all, which is how I feel about you. Well, I don't know if it's genetics or environment, but I was definitely a entrepreneur. And I was, I always had this line that an entrepreneur is just someone too incompetent to work for anyone else. So I was kind of putting myself in a no-win situation where after 20 years of learning a whole bunch about what business was and seeing three cycles of the surf skate snowboard industry and then looking at yoga, at that point, I could have gone and worked for Starbucks and, you know, lived a pretty mediocre life, or I could take everything I learned and kind of, and go, okay, now I know what to do with, uh, with yoga. I feel, really feel I had no choice because I didn't want to be an employee like a barista, which I could do, but I know I was no good as a middle manager or a manager of people because I had so many of my own ideas and the way that I wanted to do things. I know I just didn't get along with other people. I wanted to move faster, quicker. So I think I was meant to, to do what I was, what I was going to do. How did you know the product was great? And with the product, do you think that you had a better vision? Because part of me thinks that you had these visions and values, and, and I can highlight a few of them. Yours, to me, resonates so much about the things you put on your bags. And the fact that you had, you were one of the first in my mind that had high quality bags. And I wonder, did you have a better product or have you had a better vision than a lot of these other people? I was probably the only one in the world that really understood the connection between high-end athletic needs, like you looking at uh, apparel for athletics as a, a functional thing like running shoes. But then I also had the style fashion end of it, which I knew from probably the surf skate snowboard industry and seeing how people would like wear a pair of surf shorts, but then afterwards have that whole surf feeling and take it into the street, which happened in skateboarding, then again in snowboarding. And so when I saw it in yoga, I think the, the killer behind it or the thing that really made it work is that nobody had ever done this for women. And women at that time were just moving into buying, maybe buying 10% of athletic clothing to buying 70% of athletic clothing. I was at the right place at the right time. How did you know your product was great? Was it immediate? People were like, this is great. Or did you I see it with women and say, oh, wow, this is perfect. This is exactly what I believe. So why don't I be honest? Um, 
you know, as a heterosexual male, I'd seen girls that were in dance skin, black tights, which were very, very thin fabric. And um, unless the girl was a 10 out of 10, it didn't work for her. If she was a 10 out of 10, it was like the most beautiful piece of art in the world. So I think when I figured out that these first layer of snowboard pants I made for women back when I was doing, you know, first making women's snowboard gear, that women were actually starting to wear those out on the street. And the reaction I was getting out of them, because you could actually be any kind of woman and wear them and look phenomenal. And I was just in, again, in the right place at the right time with the right fabric, the right thinking. I'd gone through it three times before. And I went, now this is a product that is unbeatable both from a function and from a style point of view. I'm a, honestly a little angry with you because I feel like you've deceived men everywhere because now you've given everyone tens <laughs> in the back. I also thank you at the same time because you made women look good. I mean, it, it does, uh, it's phenomenal. And men, I've, I've become, most of the clothes lately I wear are Lululemon because it's just, it's functional for my day and it looks good. One thing coming with Lululemon specifically is that your values and vision were very distinct. And I loved reading about in the book. And you said something to me Vision should never be reached. And then the values you had were just so, they were bold and they were specific. They're like, this is what we stand for. And I think that helped connect your company and helped connect your success. Can you talk a little more about that? And maybe like how that was inside? Because I feel like we talked earlier, it's like it's posters on the wall that are just integrity, confidence, honesty. And I I think you threw that out the window and and maybe talk about that in culture as you build your businesses. For vision, it. I really got where a vision is something that should never be achieved. So it was out for something bigger in the world that, you know, for us, it was elevating the world from a place of mediocrity to greatness. But then there has to be a series of like functional goals underneath that, that can actually make that happen. So conditions of satisfaction with the buy when date. So it may be like, we're going to put 20,000 people through the landmark course and 40,000 people through goal setting in the next three years. So that would be a metric that would have us get there. I think what was different about our values is that we, inside of the the value, we wouldn't give kind of the usual type of like, like, what does integrity mean, you know, because, you know, it just started to get boring, like everyone's values were the same. And so they, but no one was really describing what that meant for the people in the company or for the customer. So for Someone like us, I would have defined each value very, very clearly. For integrity, it would have been, we do what we say we will do when we say we will do it in the expected time, in the expected way. And if we mess up, it's our responsibility to go back and clean the mess up and promise with new conditions of satisfaction with new buy windings. Because a value can be very wishy-washy. Everyone says they have integrity, but if everyone in a company has a different definition of integrity, there's no integrity. For fun, which would have been another one of our values, I would have written a joke. You know, like I think it was something like, um, I want to die peacefully in my sleep, not like the passengers in my grandmother's car or something. You know, I forget what it is now, but you get the idea. (laughs) Or for quality, it meant like people will come back and buy our product again. So, that was the definition of it. So it was, it was very clear to people. And I think we were very, very blunt in everything that we did. And we weren't pulling any punches. And, um, and definitely in you know, the world of what do we call the, um, 
social media and um, and everyone being nice to each other, like that really doesn't exist too much anymore. Political correctness is, um, you know, a, an iron fist with covered in velvet. Tyranny, you know, in, in a velvet glove, something like that. What I'm learning from you is that you had a vision that cannot be achieved. And as well, it's authentic. Like you cared about that deeply. And then you had distinct things that you not only said, here's our values. You said, this is how we are going to live. And to me, values are how the company runs when you're not around. As you're talking about that, one thing that came to mind is what are some of the most proud moments you have from the beginning to now with, with business for yourself? My dad was a teacher. And I think deep inside, I'm a teacher. And I think that that ends up being maybe one of the best types of leaders because I was able to grow really, really fast because I love to teach people. And because of that, I was able to raise myself up above the the mechanisms, the internal mechanism of the company and be five years ahead. The thing I'm most proud of, I, I believe, is from my different companies is how many people have left, formed their own super successful businesses, you know, have become directors of companies and been highly successful and millionaires. I think that wouldn't have occurred without setting up that development program that I had of um, the books that we had people read, audio, goal setting, you know, learning about responsibility, integrity. And so it's the metric of how the world has occurred around me because of what I did. Yeah, someone said the phrase exponential impact. I was like, yeah, because you affect a few people that go on like what you've done to go affect more. But one thing that comes to mind, and you know, everyone can go read the book, Stretch a Little Black Pants, an official Little Lemon story. One thing I, I reflect on at times is like, how do you know when it's time to move on, right? As you moved on to, to other things. And then especially when you've had, you know, I worked at Facebook and got fired and I was, that actually put a chip on my shoulder to be successful. And so I wondered how you've mentally processed like moving on. Is my next thing got to be bigger? Is it going to be totally different? And how you've approached that, like letting go as well as what to move on next to. Yeah, and it takes me back to that Michael Jordan uh, a documentary that's out right now, The Last Dance, and how he says at the end that, I mean, basically he got fired too. You know, like there was another season left, you know, in the Bulls to kind of go another season. And, you know, there's that, that thing of, well, I don't feel fulfilled. I had more to do. When I listen to you and, and I think of what I had to do at Lou Lemon, I had far more to do than what the, I'd call the mediocre metric Wall Street, uh, private equity people, you know, who wanted their own little power did. Anybody who's competitive or is, or is in the game of life, there's like, like I kind of got kicked out, so to speak. So great. So that's just like a setback. Now there's a time where I can go, okay, now it's time to move forward. Or there's also that period where it's like, okay, what did I do wrong? What do I need to change? How do I fight my way back in? And there's a certain time when you, when it's just a choice. And the choice is, do I keep going to try to get back in or do I move on and try to do something different? It's like really choosing between vanilla and chocolate ice cream if you've never had either and you have no idea what the taste is. And so you're just choosing one and there's no right or wrong for it because in your choice, you could be wrong, but you'll never know. You'll never know what it was like to have two children as opposed to one children. Like some things just, you just have to choose. And then whatever you choose, that's who you are in life. And that's what you move on to be. How did you process your time after that and move on? And how are you finding fulfillment now? Well, I think I had to, one, choose that I needed to find another direction. And then to, to really sit back and go, okay, well, what 
really fulfills me. And there's that book flow, F-L-O-W. And it's like time goes so quickly because you're really enjoying yourself. And so where do I really enjoy myself? And I enjoy myself in athletics, my family, and technical apparel. So I started looking for a, a technical apparel outlet for myself where I could use my design, my knowledge, and, and my um, expertise. And so that's when I fell into buying the Ammer brand, which had multiple athletic brands under it, and then take it into China because that's the thing I'm super excited about is, is China and taking everything you know in, in technical athletics and taking it to a 1.4 billion population of a country that's just exploding with you know now health and, and athletics. We talked about this before, and I'm still curious. So, you know, you're ahead of the game in a lot of different areas, skate, snowboard, athleisure, you know, the Asian markets become big. But I think the fact that you're saying we're going all in over there when people are still focused on the States, could you just tell us where's the ball that you have or the cube that you shake up so you can see the future and maybe give us some wisdom on that? Well, I, I've worked so long in China and I saw the evolution over the last 35 years, I think, since I started doing production there. It's the culture is different and it's that they follow a leader and there's one leader in both the country and in companies. And it's almost like a, a loyalty and like you make the decision and we're going to follow you no matter what. And you think, oh, that's so different from um, what's happening in America or Canada now. But I think that that works incredibly well in this era of like speed. So you can see like the American government with the checks and balances, it takes so long to do everything. There's so many self-interest groups. You look at a company, a, a public company in the U.S., it's like it's the 1% shareholder has more power than the 30% shareholder because of litigation. That doesn't exist in China. So the ability for China to and its companies to move with the speed of digital is exponential. And I think it's going to leave the rest of the world behind. How do you think about risk? How do you approach it? What seems risky to you with business or in life? Sometimes things are highly risky, but there's no other choice. And I would go back to, again to when I started Lou Lemon. It's, you know, it's highly risky. I put all my money into it. You know, I could have gone bankrupt as I almost did two or three times. But when there's no other alternative, the risk kind of goes away. I think risk is calculated. And I think if I'm betting on myself or I'm betting on myself and my knowledge, the risk is a lot less where it may look like a lot of risk for somebody else. Where I find life risky is when I'm trying to invest in the stock market or another company, and I don't understand the 1 million nuances of what makes that company work. That's highly risky to me. The conversation kind of gets wrapped up in the belief in yourself and the knowledge that, that I have. How do you think more people can believe in themselves more? I was just talking with one of my best friends about applying for jobs. And there's two different people. One got the job and one didn't, but they both worked extremely hard. I mean, like 50 to 100 hours per each job application. And so on one hand, it's like, well, it's disappointing because I worked really hard for it. And the other, one guy got and one guy didn't. But on the other hand, it's like it showed you about yourself. And I think that does build confidence. I guess, how did you build your confidence around that? I asked you earlier, but the confidence that, you know, I can risk that I'm almost bankrupt. And I could face myself. You know, I think maybe it's facing yourself and, and going for it. I think everyone's different. I think for me, again, I think I had nice genetics around risk and confidence. And then I think from a very young age, I think I got really lucky as I got put into a sport of competitive swimming, which I think I was just 
genetically really good at when I was competitive, but I think I had the body for it. Confidence then came easy to me because it was kind of built in. Now, if my parents would have put me into ping pong or put me into maybe computer science, I, I maybe I would not have had the confidence. And so I don't really have the answer to it. Is it genetic or is it environmental? Is it timing? I don't know. How have you done it with your children to give them confidence? I think keep putting them in situations where they can fail and keep pushing them a little bit, but not too much. Love them. How are you thinking about your legacy? I know that you have a product business that's a legacy, but also this book is a legacy. I guess I'm just curious how you're reflecting on that and and going through that. Well, and is legacy even important? You know, when it doesn't matter to a dead man, but it seems to be kind of ingrained inside of us. I'd say, you know, like if our number one instinct is survival, I think as you get older, the, the thought of what survival is, is passing on your genes to your children and then having your children be as successful as they can in life. And that is probably as much of a legacy as, um, as anybody can do. So that's how I look at that. And last two questions. You've been reading a lot of biographies, and that's something we talked about. Uh, which ones would you recommend for people? And I, I think you said you got tired of most business books. Uh, and I definitely feel the same. So I've been reading, reading a lot of books about letting go, like Surrender Experiment. You read this or the book Letting Go? No. Surrender Experiment's weirdly phenomenal. This guy just surrenders to everything and ends up building like a nine-figure business and a, a temple in the woods and a construction company. And, and it's just about how he's surrendered to life. And uh, there's something resonating with me with that. Well, I think that that's uh, the same with the landmark course. It's the basis of it, I think, is standing in nothing and being in free choice. So what you're saying is what he surrendered. But what did he surrender? He really surrendered his past and his past experiences. So he stands in the present in nothing. And standing in the present in in nothing has someone able to be creative. Create the present from the future, not from the past. Can you go on a little more? That was really interesting. Well, no, that's just the landmark course. Uh, anyone can take it. It's a three-day course. I, I found it to be a phenomenally, uh, you know, we probably put 20,000, 30,000 people at Lululemon through it, and it was the basis for our success. How do you think that, that changed you and your perspective? Well, I think I was able to stop making a lot of stories that, in my life that weren't true. You know, like stories I would have had in millions of situations with girlfriends, with parents, with situations. You know, being able to to not be have our present run from uh, kind of this storied past, and being able to to look at any situation, like maybe even a girl breaks up with you, or you get fired from a job, or this and that, you can come up with millions of different scenarios about what actually happened. You know, kind of like you know the parents don't show up for the children's Christmas concert when they're grade six, and the kid can go, well, my parents don't love me. They didn't show up when the reality of is they were going through a financial crisis and the dad was traveling and the mom had to show a, a house that night. So it's all about how you have know, the power of the conversation. Final question. I don't know where this came from, but what, what's your theme song? I just imagine that you walk in your house or you're, you know, at a party and you have a theme song. What would that be? Oh, God. Maybe The Power of Love by Jimi Hendrix. Awesome. I'll rock out to that. Chip, I appreciate you, man. Okay. It's great talking to you. Hey, thanks, Noah. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. If you want to dig deeper and learn more about Chip Wilson and Lululemon, make sure to buy his book, Little Black Stretchy Pants. They are now at least over a $10 billion company at the time of this show. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, amigo, how can I help you this week?
And before you go, make sure don't email me at podcast at okdoor.com. Seriously, don't. I really haven't checked it. I check it when I'm like super bored. But tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of the episode. Also, by the way, go subscribe to that email list of mine. I put in my juiciest best tips into a single short email every single week. Sendfox.com slash Noah. And speaking of Sendfox, the number one piece of advice I give to people that want to start a business but don't have any idea is start a newsletter around a topic you're interested in. Build that tribe, that community. So when you want to sell something or you want to start a business, you already have people interested. You can go to sendfox.com. It is free to get started and it's what I use myself. Final, a special thanks to my amazing team, Jason at podcasttech.com, as always for making these podcasts sound so dope. Don't try to hire him, people, please. A lot of people email me saying, who does a podcast? It's Jason. Actually, he might be available, but don't hire him because I still need help. Uh, thank you as well to David, Mitchell, Jeremy, and Michael from the Dork Team for the magic you guys do. And Jen. Don't forget about Jen. And a final special thanks to Marnie Tov. I always, your name is always hard at the end, but Tov. She is a developer from Sumo, and she is amazing. Appreciate all you've done for yourself and for the company and for animals. Have a lovely day. What's your favorite vegetable? <laughs>